This is the EWN Radio Network. Welcome to On the Record with your host, Ashram Lux Lucis. On the record, I am your host, Astrum Lux Lucis, and my next guest and I go way back to 1987, when we were young metalheads hanging out, going to shows in New York City, and taking trips to the Jersey Shore, with King Diamond blasting on my 1968 Pontiac Firebirds super badass stereo system. She's the cousin of my very best friend, and her dad gave me guitar lessons about 30 years ago. And over the past almost 30 years, she's made quite the name for herself in the American Roots music movement, releasing seven critically acclaimed albums. And doing her part to keep the planet green, she converted a 1998 Ford diesel school bus into a 1940s-style tour bus that runs on used vegetable oil. I'm not sure where this interview will go, but I can assure you it will be an absolute blast. Please welcome my amazing friend, Miss April May. Thanks so much for having me, Ostrom. It's so cool to be with you again. Yeah, it's good to talk with you again. So many years, I think the last we spoke was in 2007. I was moving from New York City to Austin, Texas, and um, we kind of had like a, a big joined birthday party thing somewhere in North Jersey with uh, me and your cousin, uh, Tina who we both share birthdays in the summer. So I believe that's the last Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. We don't have to eat. That was fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what's – you've got a lot that's been going on in your, in the, in the, since we've been kids together. Let's put it that way. And, mm. you know, you've, you come from a musical family. Was music something that you always wanted to do, or did you – fall into it? How did you get into music? Huh. Um, it's funny. <laughs> Having a musical family, you would think that that would be a natural evolution, but uh, I loved music. You know, like you were talking about when we used to, you know, cruise around listening to bands all the time and always blast to music, but I didn't really see myself as a performer. I saw myself as a music lover, and for some reason, I kind of had it in my head that it was a boy thing, and it took a long time for me to kind of come out of the shadow of you know, supporting my friends who are guys in bands and, uh, and you know, having the courage to come out and, and try to perform myself. Was there any inspiration, like, through your mom or anything with that? Yeah, I think a lot of it came from my mom. I remember when I told my mom that I, I wanted to sing, she was really enthusiastic about it. I mean, my my singing before that was just something I did for myself, like, as an outlet. Like, you know, you scream and sing to your car stereo, you know, you scream and sing in the, in the shower because it feels good and it still feels good. It, you know, it's, it's something I feel like, uh, is necessary to my sanity if I don't sing, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, my mom was a definite inspiration and, uh, gosh, I actually got tricked into singing. Um, I had a friend who had heard me sing and, uh, I was playing bass at the time a little bit. You might remember that mm-hmm. you, you played guitar and, and, uh, and Dean played guitar and uh, I had a friend who asked me to come audition to play bass in his band. That was the first band I was ever in. And when I got there, 
he told me he actually wanted me to sing because he had heard me sing one time and uh you know i was really stunned but if it wasn't for him uh, making me take that step and 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 you know giving me support I, I don't know what my life would be like right now it might not be the same but I owe him a lot. His name is Billy Starr, and our band at the time was called Last Call. It was like a blues rock band. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you take uh, did you take lessons at all? Have any formal training? Because you are you're this tiny little girl, and you've got this <laughs> voice on you that's like you know Aretha Franklin or something coming out. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't even know where that comes from because you're so like subdued and quiet and, and mellow, and then you got this log just coming out of you like a <laughs> cow, you know. <laughs> That is my mom. That is a gift from my mom. My mom is, is you know, you're right. I'm small. I'm like 5'3". My mom is, I don't know if my mom's even five feet tall. She might be 5'1", and she probably weighs like 108 pounds, and her voice is like twice as big as mine. So that's a genetic gift from her. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if that answers the question. But, yeah, oh, lessons. I did have some lessons. When I when I was in that first group uh, last call and they wanted us to do some rock covers. And at the time that included John Joplin and, uh, and I was afraid I would hurt myself, you know, trying to sing that way. Cause she's got such a gravelly gritty voice and some people can do that and sustain that. And some people can't. And uh, I was starting to get a sore throat. So I did have some lessons. Um, Robert Edwin, who's a fantastic music teacher near me, um, you know, kind of said, you know, let's introduce you to Ella. Ella's your your range, Ella Fitzgerald, you know, but if you keep trying to sing like Janice, you know, if you want to sing the rest of your life, I don't condone that you do that with the anatomy that you have. You know, some people can, but I wasn't one of those folks, so. Some is good, some
um, hopefully it does that to other people. And, and people do tell me that it does. So um, I feel like it's, it's helpful in that way because, you know, this world, we could all use some cheering up. We'll be right back. I'm looking for a certain kind of woman, and I think you know her. She's an entrepreneur that is highly connected, successful, significant in her own industry, and considered the go-to woman in her community. She's received so much from so many women in business, she's ready to give back to others on their journey, lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey, and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of or know someone we should talk with, send an email to managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. That's managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. And let's start the conversation. And we're back on the record. I want to go back a little bit because we didn't talk about what it was you thought you were going to do before you, you know, before you were just a, a music aficionado and then you became a musician. What were you thinking you were going to do, quote unquote, when you grow up, if, you know, before you oh. figured out that you could sing? Well, actually, um, I, um, I went to college for fine art, so I actually have a BFA, um, I was a. I did a lot of drawing. Uh, I was always kind of introverted and introspective, and I did a lot of drawing. Um, when I went to college, I got to paint. I learned how to paint. Um, I became a sculptural and ceramics major. And when I came out of college, I was doing a lot of sculptural pottery and um, <clears throat> selling a lot of my work. Um, for about eleven years, I did that. It wasn't you know wasn't successful enough where I didn't have to work a day job anymore but um but that's kind of where I saw myself was doing fine art or uh, or you know in that kind of in that kind of vocation but uh but no <laughs> but I still use it I mean I did go back to school um and get a digital media certificate to do graphic design and uh, up until about five or six years ago I was doing uh, graphic design and production art so I used it in the music business because hey you know you record something you need a CD cover you have a gig you need a poster um, you have to do an e-newsletter so all that stuff helps mm-hmm. and are you still doing all that stuff for your current band doing the, the CD covers and the posters and all that stuff yeah I do all, I do all that stuff yeah. and I do all the booking and I do all the yeah, the set the show development I do. I'm the chief cook and bottle washer. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I like... don't really I don't do is I don't do the long distance driving on tour. Dave does that. I don't I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Let's talk about your tour bus because you painted your tour bus too, right? Yeah, yeah. So um uh she is uh she's kind of like a 
a rolling cartoon, and she is candy apple red, and banana cream is her color palette, and she looks like a 1940s bus. She has comets on the side. She has swooshes over her wheel wells, and she has a little star on the front, which, um, you know, like back in the day, they put a star on the door when that was somebody's dressing room. Well, you know, she's that too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and on the back... Uh, you know, there's the tags on the back of a bus on the top that say where they're going, and our mm-hmm. call-out tag says it's all about the boogie on the back. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Now, it's it Sleeps 3. Does it have um, restroom facilities as well? No. See, we have to pull over. Um, yeah. We have, we have a camper now that we got a couple of years ago. We have a 15-foot camper, and um, over the past, gosh, over the past year, I've been working on um, turning the interior space of the camper into like a 1940s vibe, and uh, we're getting there. We're about 80% done on that. But on the last tour we did, we took the camper with us. So we ran on veg most of the way. We pulled our camper, and the camper does have um, a bathroom. It has a refrigerator. It has a sink. It has a microwave. She, it's going to be our tiny house. That's our next phase is to do tiny house with our camper. Nice. That would be cool. Right on. You need to do, because I was looking, you need to do like a little video tour of your bus and the camper and all that and put it up on your YouTube channel. You know, I think that would be really uh, an interesting thing for people to see. Yeah. That's a a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. That would be really cool. I got a freezer. I used to be so. I was thinking what would make it go. Just point it up and go. Raise it up and go. Now you smoke your own Remember um, 
back in the day, I, you came to visit me. I was in Branchburg, New Jersey, and you came to visit for the weekend or whatever. We were probably going to Lemoore's or something to see, like, White Lion or who knows. Uh, Are you right on target? <laughs> our, our, right, our, our many outings to the city and <laughs> with our crew. and <laughs> I think it was Sabotage and White Lion. Yeah, it might have Yeah, it might have been. <laughs> And I think we got lost on the way, but <laughs> um, I remember because I was at the time, I was trying to put my band together, my metal band, and trying to get that whole thing going, and and you you telling me that I was inspirational to you, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking at everything that you've done since that time, and it's like totally flipped around, because I'm totally inspired by everything you've done with putting the, the bus together and making it like a veggie, you know, veggie fuel bus and, and doing the oh, touring wow. that you're doing and, you know, Thank releasing you. the albums and you're playing with all these really cool people and playing at, you know, historic sun studios. And, um, it's, it's really great that you're just going out there and getting it. What's like a typical day look like for you to make all this stuff happen or t- t- typical week? Uh, it depends on what I'm doing, but, uh, a lot of it's on the computer. I spend so much time on the computer, um, you know, figuring things out, like figuring out tour logistics. I'm always on Google maps trying to, you know, figure out what makes sense. Um, trying to find venues to play, trying, I mean, uh, it's amazing to me how much time I'm on the computer, but, uh, but you know, like when we were on tour, we were just on tour for the month of January and, uh, we were constantly jumping, doing stuff. Um, so it depends on what phase we're in. Right now, I'm, I'm working on booking our tour for um, uh, March, um, but we've only been back about five days from the tour. We stayed out the whole month of January. Um, but it's a lot of planning. It's funny, you know, when I look at the at some of the e-blasts, when I put everything together, and it looks so busy as a cumulative you know, result of, of a plan, but there's so many hours that go into making sure that it's all going to fit, you know, geographically and financially. And, you know, are we going to have enough fuel? I have little, I have a spreadsheet in Excel that calculates my fuel mileage and how much vegetable oil I'm going to need. And I like, I have to do all that stuff before I do a tour. So I don't know if that answers the question, but, yeah. um, but you know, as being a musician and, and God, you've been, you've had bands longer than me, um, how much back end goes on and, and the performance piece seems like such a sliver compared to all the other stuff that, that you're doing to kind of get this dream off the ground. It's like, uh, it almost feels heavy. There's so much back end to do, but once mm-hmm. you're doing it, you're like, you forget all that temporarily. You know, it's kind of like when they say people give childbirth and they forget how much it hurts and they go back <laughs> do it again. It's like the same thing when you're playing in a tour, you get out on the tour and you're like, woohoo, this is great. Then you have to play in the next one. You're like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do all that stuff again. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I don't awesome. know if that's a good analogy, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it. No, it's, it's. I've never had kids, but I can. I've seen. You know, in my fourth grade health class, I've seen the video, <laughs> and that did it for me. I knew that I was never going to have kids after that moment. So, uh, <laughs> but I can probably. Yeah, I don't have any kids either. I have a. A band and a bus, and that's that's that yeah. takes up every last brain cell yeah. that I have. Yeah, that's, that's like having <laughs> kids in its own, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
So what is touring like? Uh, you know, you're on the road with these guys and you're, you're doing everything. You're, you're the tour manager and making sure you're getting paid and, you know, um, getting to the lodging and, and all that kind of stuff. What's that like for you? Um, it has ups and downs. I mean, it certainly has ups and downs. Um, it has, you know, highlights that are magical. I mean, this past January, I think one of the most magical times for me was being at Sun Studios and and being in that space and, and getting to record. And um, and we had a videographer there that took video. We released uh, one video so far. We have a lot more to go through. And um, we got to be in New Orleans for an extended time, and that's one of my favorite cities. So that part was really meaningful, magical for me, but, you know, um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of stress too that happens. I mean, you know, you are cooped up, you know, with, with, uh, with your bandmates for, uh, for 30 days. And, you know, it's kind of like when you take a vacation with somebody, you take a vacation with a group of friends for a weekend and, you know, you're already starting to crave your own personal space. I mean, that definitely (laughs) happens on tour. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, especially when you're 30 days out. Um, so, and I'm the only girl with two boys and, you know, we all have different ways of doing things. I never saw myself as a June Cleaver, but um, after this trip, I, you know, I, <laughs> I wonder if there's a, a June Cleaver cell in there somewhere, but, you know, <laughs> those are the little things, but those are the things that, you know, you have to wear great on your, you know, on your psyche when you're on tour and, and even just trying to get, Meals. I mean, um, meals when you're touring can eat up so much of your tour budget. So we've put an inverter, a 3,000 watt inverter in the bus before this trip. And I have a, a giganto, enormous crock pot. And like every other day, you know, I would try to pre-prepare as much food as we could, um, keep a lot of food on board and not be eaten out with the temptation is to just do convenience food, which is not healthy and eats up your tour budget. So, I mean, they're just some of the things that I'm, every band deals with when they're touring. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, from the macrocosm to the microcosm, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> little details. Do you have any kind of practice that you do to kind of get your own personal space when you're surrounded by people like a meditation or do you go for a walk or something like that to keep yourself in balance on the road? Yeah, I I am a meditator and I I um I I wish I could do it twice a day. Um that's best practice, but I try to get one in once a day. When we're on tour, I didn't always get one in once a day, but sometimes when I was laying in bed before I got up, I try to get one in, but that definitely, definitely helps a lot. And, um, you know, in our camper, we have uh, a kitchen, we have a, um, uh, a guest bed space, we have a bedroom space that has curtains, so I could draw the curtains and meditate if I need to. Um, I'm really, you know, blessed, too, that the guys I tour with, we don't have a radio on the bus, believe it or not. It didn't come with one, and it wasn't something we got around to. So now that everybody's got iPhones and iPods, you know, they can bring their own music and everybody uses headphones. So, you know, and they, they do that. My guys do that. So that's really helpful too. Cause then that gives you a chance to get your own personal space and also not, you know, impact somebody else's with what you want to listen to may or may not be what they want to listen to. So, um, little things like that are really helpful. But, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so when did you get into the meditation practice? How long have you been doing that? Um, let me think probably, 
I want to say five years, and I tend to um, think things are less time than they are, so it might be <laughs> might be closer to seven. <laughs> I guess something I tend to do all the time, especially uh, like when I try to figure out how long it's going to take to do something. It's always way less than I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know that's if you probably have problem, good. But... That might that might be a good problem to have. <laughs> well, I mean, I might have said it the wrong way. I think it's going to take less time than it actually takes. So, oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 So my dad has been teaching me to leave an extra day, add an extra day to whatever I think <laughs> when I'm making goals to have an overflow day. <laughs> oh my gosh. So what inspired the meditation practice? Um, I've been doing yoga for uh, over 10 years. And uh, and that was always something that, you know, that was that was part of the, you know, the limbs of the, the yoga tree. And uh, uh, I had a, a friend who was going to take a class in, in Philadelphia with a practitioner um, who does, uh, who, who teaches meditation. And um, she wanted to know if I wanted to carpool with her. So me and my husband, Dave, and, and her, we went out to uh, Robert McLaughlin is the name of my meditation teacher, and he's out in Philadelphia. Um, and that has helped me so much. I mean, I, that was all pre-April, May, and the June bugs. And so it's amazing to me how much of what I do and how much conceptualizing I do artistically, even the bus. I mean, the whole idea is, for the bus and even my band name, it all came when I was meditating. And uh, there's so much that just pop like ideas that just pop in my, in my head um, when I'm meditating that turn into things that I, I want to manifest in my life. Um, which I think that, I think that meditation gives my mind the space to be creative because in normal day to day working hours, you know, you're, I'm, I'm focused on what it is that I'm doing and there's not the mental space for me to be creative at that time because I'm, I'm working. But when I meditate, there's like an openness where creativity can bubble up where I, when I don't have the opportunity to do that normally, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It opens that doorway to source infinite intelligence, God, whatever you want to call it, to let the, the creative powers flow through you and, and manifest things. Yeah, it's it's I love it. I I meditate every day and, you know, definitely things come to me all the time that I'm just like, really? Like even my name. I did a meditation to get my name. Um Oh, wow. You know, the universe kind of played a little trick on me and it was like it was shining starlight and I'm like, yeah, I'm not calling myself that. <laughs> 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 like I'm I'm hippie and all, but I'm not doing that, you know. And, um, long story short, basically, Astrum Lux Lucis is shining starlight in old Latin, like Doctor's Latin. Oh, so, but yeah, Astrum sounds like a superhero. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's why I liked it. You know, when my friends and I were going over different incarnations of you know shining starlight in different languages. And she said that one. I'm like, oh yeah, that's it right there. That's the superhero, you know. So that's awesome. But yeah, yeah, meditation's great. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is, you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support wisdom and new customers eWomen Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs 
who have been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the contacts, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners, such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the eWomen Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details, visit eWomenNetwork.com. And we're back on the record. Talk a little bit about, did you have any mentors along the way that inspired you, influenced you, guided you? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I say musically, um, the, musically the, the three most influential mentors that I had, which kind of happened sporadically, were Pete Seeger, um, the Red Stick Ramblers, and early Elvis Presley. Um, but, but uh spiritually um my biggest mentor was Pete Seeger and um Pete Seeger I don't I don't know if you know about him do you know about him not a, not a whole lot I know he's like like sort of like the father of folk or something am I wrong there no you're right on there okay. um okay. Pete, Pete Seeger um came up in the 40s um and he he did a lot of um, traveling and playing music with Woody Guthrie. He also worked for the Library of Congress, and he was one of the people that went out and made field recordings of, um, of like, Appalachian uh, folk songs and collected, you know, um, through film and through audio, uh, a lot of cultural and, and music of people to be preserved, you know, so that it wasn't lost to posterity. But um, when I got turned on to Pete Seeger, it was from – Gene Chase Folk Show, which was a radio show. And also there was a, uh, an article about him in Acoustic Guitar Magazine. And I didn't know a lot about him. And I read the article. And one of the things he said that really amazed me was he was talking about, you know, songs that are in the public domain. And he talked about how um, if he records a song that's in the public domain, which means, you know, that there's no registered copyright owner, so there's nobody to pay copyright fees to, you know, some people would take advantage of that. Uh, there's nobody to pay copyright fees to, so they record it and they get to take the credit for it and they don't have to make any payments. But what Pete would do is he would trace back that song, even if he couldn't find out a person associated with it, he would find out where it came from geographically and make a donation to a cause in that area. And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is so incredibly inspiring. And then the more that I learned about him and the more I went to see him perform, I found out that he lived only three and a half hours north of us, that he started an environmental group called the Beacon Sloop Club, which was a sailing club, and he had song circles uh, once a month. And we started going to his song circles. Long story short, um, went to one of his Clearwater festivals, which had an environmental area. That was the first time that I saw a diesel car come in on diesel and then leave on the French fry oil from the vendors because they were doing conversions. So. He, his whole aesthetic about music, about, um, about the planet, about environmentalism, about his, his whole spirituality and his ethics, and the fact that when he sang and he had everyone sing with him, there was a feeling that I had that I, I could only kind of describe as like a spiritual experience. Um, but he's, he's my biggest mentor. And I've, 
mean, I've spoken to him a few times. I think he probably knew me to recognize me, but I always saw him, you know, have a lot of people, you know, peppering around him because of his, the fact that he was a celebrity and I never really wanted to bother him, but he was, he's my biggest mentor by, by far. Wow. That's awesome. I hope I, I didn't, know I hope I didn't talk him. too much. No. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. We're <laughs> <laughs> in an interview. You can talk. <laughs> but uh, sadly, he, he, um, he, he did pass away um, probably going on about two years now, maybe year year to two years. But, uh, but yeah, to check him out. I mean, his music – uh, is wonderful. His legacy is wonderful, and and the thing that I always thought was so amazing about him was, um, Bob Dylan said that he was a saint, and he the thing that was so amazing about him was almost everything he did, he did for others. He did for the community. He did for the environment. He was never about himself. Even when he sang, he didn't care about himself singing. He wanted everybody singing with him, and he would get all these people singing with him and singing in harmony and. Uh, he's just an amazing spirit. So yeah, check him out. <laughs> wow, yeah, and that's an important um, aspect. I'm learning more and more uh, as I talk with successful people like yourself, and that being in service to others is where you really start to grow and expand, not only as a person, but whatever business you're in. Um, because once you take the focus off you, it seems to like open up this floodgate to just allow the universe to do its magic that it's going to do for you. And I think a lot of people who, you know, sit in that position of, uh, they're so lucky or, oh, that'll never happen for me or whatever. Like they haven't grasped that yet, that you've got to be in service to others. Do you think that hmm. you take on a service to others in anything you're doing now or that you can recognize or maybe are you doing it unconsciously or have you even thought about it? I, I, no, I, you know, it's funny. I I have thought about it because I, because of Pete and because of, you know, his lifestyle and, and, and what he's done. And um, I, I kind of feel like some of the things I do are of service to others and and I hope they are like, I kind of feel like what I'm doing with the bus um, is, is hopefully getting a message out there about alternative energies. That's one thing that I, that I hope I'm doing. The other thing is um, I look at vocation dharmically and Dharma, which, you know, I'm sure you probably are familiar with that word, but everybody may not be is Dharma is, is a life's purpose that is um, nourishing to you and it's also uh, nourishing to, to people around you. It's also offering a service to people around you. And I, I feel like it's selfish in what I'm doing musically and, and artistically, but I, I try to remind myself that if it truly is a dharmic calling, which, you know, I, I'm hoping that it is, and I, I really believe that it is, is that the music I do cheers me up, and I hope that it's cheering up other people. And when I say that, people in the audience, you know, when I'm talking after shows, they, they resound that with me. They tell me that it is fun and it cheers them up. But I remember there was a, a day we were playing and, uh, and someone came up to me after the show and they wanted to give me a tip. And the tip was a $100 bill. And that's, that's like really amazing for someone in the audience to want to give you a $100 bill. And yeah. I was telling him graciously, like, it's really sweet of you. You don't need to do that. 
He's like, no, I, I want to do that. He says, I want you to take this. He said, I just buried my sister today, and I didn't think I would ever laugh again. And you guys had me smiling and laughing. And what you did was really powerful to me. To me, you know, I don't feel like I'm doing anything special. I'm just doing what I do. So I, I hope that what I do is dharmic. And those are the kind of moments that I hold on to and, and try to believe that they are because I look at somebody like Pete Seeger and I don't feel like what I do pales in comparison to what he did in terms of service to others. But I hope that what I'm doing uh, at least helps to enlighten people in some way because it's something I feel like I need to do for my, my own survival, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, if that if that answers the question. But Yeah, yeah, that was great. That was awesome. What do you think in all this so far has been your biggest lesson that you've learned? Um, I think the biggest challenge for me is trying to walk the talk. Um, you know, I've always have <laughs> little quotes around my space, you know, um, quotes about, you know, vacation being the, you know, a source of happiness quotes about one of my favorite ones was, um, who being loved is poor, um, you know, always trying to tell myself that it's not about how much money I make. It's about, am I, am I being true to what I feel I'm supposed to do with my life? And the biggest challenge for me has been trying to make that work, um, from a financial standpoint. I mean, we all know that musicians, um, in this culture that we live in, unless they're mega, you know, super mainstream stars, like just like sports figures that are making, you know, uh, thousands and millions of dollars, that doesn't always translate down to musicians that are not at that level. So that's been the biggest challenge for me. And trying to constantly think outside the box, you know, what is it that I can do to give myself the space to do what I'm doing? Because time is money, right? So if Mm -hmm. you're, if I'm working behind a desk for somebody else to make a paycheck, that time is, time in my life that I'm never going to get back. So if I want to try to build a tour or or do all these goals that I'm going to do, I couldn't do things to the level that I'm doing now had I been working, continued to work a day job. So that's been the biggest struggle for me is, you know, so I'm hoping that tiny house uh, is going to, that whole concept of, you know, people, which is the same thing, you know, simplifying your life down to what's really important to you, cutting back on your expenses so that you can live the life you want to live, live an authentic life, um, there is a book I have called The Simple Living Guide, which I've had for about 15 years, and I constantly go back to that book, and it's all strategies of people trying to do that. But that's been my biggest struggle as an artist, and I'm sure it's a struggle that lo- lots of other artists and musicians, you know, that's their challenge.
you mentioned thinking outside of the box. What are some things that you are doing to think outside of the box? Um, well, you mean from a musician standpoint or just from my, in my life in general? Oh, I think all around because you've got to think outside of the box to, to get to get paid nowadays, right? Uh, especially yeah. if you're a musician. And, you know, you've, that would encompass, I think, your your whole being because it's who you are. So. Um, well, one of the things I'm doing to think outside the box has been um, the whole tiny house movement, um, you know, and that's something that I've been aspiring to do for, I, I'm probably going on two years now. <laughs> and here I am still, um, <laughs> working on downsizing the stuff in my house. So um, I'm getting there. I've had 11 yard sales. I have my, my tax receipts will attest to the fact that I have donated over 240 plus boxes and bags to Goodwills. <laughs> As I stand here looking at, you know, my Led Zeppelin poster from 1980 that I have to put on eBay. Um, yeah. The, the thinking outside the box, the downsizing, trying to, I'm <laughs> trying to let go <laughs> of all this stuff you know because being artistic usually means you're sentimental so that's you know not good for mm -hmm. the whole downsizing thing so yeah. yeah so it's been it's been that um i'm hoping by this spring to have uh, the top level of my house rented out as an apartment to be moved into my camper to be home and away, like uh, alternating months, um, with the idea that in um, the winter that I'm going to be snowbirded, doing snowbird tour tours down south in um, Louisiana, um, maybe even Florida. But the New Orleans is a place that I just keep going back to. New Orleans and Memphis are really uh, powerful places for me. Um, but for me, that's a big thinking outside the box. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because nice. like everybody else I, I had a I had a forty hour weekday job and it took me it took me probably within a ten year period to go from forty hours a week to thirty hours a week to twenty hours a week to where I am now. Like it took years yeah. to kind of I keep was gonna say like, how, did, down. how did that happen for you? You know, because that's that's a scary thing. Like you have this, you know, it's never and nothing's really secure or safe, but you have this safe job, safe paycheck, you know, money's going to be coming in. And, you know, when you take something like this on, there's, you know, there's no guarantee of anything. So that's, it's a whole paradigm shift that can really mess up your mind if you're not really there. So how did you deal with that? I mean, you said it's taken you 10 years, but what are some of the steps you've had to take to get yourself to this point? Um, I, um, well, I mean, I originally worked for 40 hours a week, and then, you know, to get to uh, the next step down, I was like, okay, well, how can I get from 40 hours a week to 30 or to 20? And so I was trying to find, um, at the time, you know, what can I do to make more money per hour than what I was making at the time. At the time, I was doing admin work with my BFA, and I went back. I just figured I could go work at a college. And by working at a college, I could take classes that I don't have to pay for. So um, that's one thing you could do in education in that, in that system is you could work at a college and, and go back to school uh, tuition-free 
Um, and usually if you have kids, they can go tuition-free too. But anyway, so I, I had my BFA. I was doing admin work, started working in um, in art colleges so I could go back to school at night and learn digital media and graphic design. Then I was able to get to a graphic design position that paid twice per hour when I was making doing my admin job but working less time. Um, so that was one, like, strategy that I used to do that. Um, but – you know, to get to where I am now, <laughs> this sounds really boring, but Excel spreadsheets, Excel spreadsheets, and budgets. <laughs> because what I did was, like, took all my, you know, all my expenses, laid them out in there. What are they total per month? What can I get rid of? What do I have to have? What do I not have to have? Um, you know, really scaling back on stuff. I mean, um, look at a cable bill. You know, look at a cable bill for, you know, all the movie channels. I mean, that stuff adds up. I don't have that stuff. You know, I mm. go on YouTube if I want to watch a movie. You know, um, so, I mean, yeah, there's there's a, a lot of little things. I I have a friend. Her name is Lucretia Salome, and she has an awesome little diner in the city. And she would give me little pep talks as I was on this journey over the past 10 years. I would go in there and have breakfast, and she always say something inspiring to me. And one of the things she said to me was, the little things add up. You know, the little things add up yeah. in terms of when you're trying to do budget projections. And she's right. They really do. Um, so I had to kind of get – it's a tendency for me to go unconscious about what I spend because I get caught up in the moment. And I've really had to – one of the things I have to do is every week I have to sit down. It takes me a whole day. I have to sit down with my Excel spreadsheet and figure out what did I spend, what was I supposed to spend, and what do I have, you know, for the next month moving forward. And I do balance projections every month of, am I going to have enough to get through the next month? What do I need to get through the next month? Am I short? Okay, then I have to book more gigs or I have to sell something on eBay. I mean, I, I really have to take it down that small to to make it work because I don't have the luxury of a, a big, you know, a big salary that I know what it's going to be, if that makes sense. And, and when mm -hmm. it comes to gigging, I had to kind of go through, I keep all my gigs on a spreadsheet, I know what I make, and I started figuring out what's, what is the minimum that I make in a month. You know, I, I would look at my calendar. You know, that's real easy to do, right? You can go to Reverb Nation, go backwards and look at your calendar and write down what you made at each gig. What's the minimum you make over, you know, in, a, in one particular month over a year? Okay, well, then that's what I'm going to depend on as my, you know, musician budget and put that in my spreadsheet as my income. Is that going to work? If it doesn't work, then i got to figure out what can I do to bump that up, and I have to get more work. Um, more gigs or cut something. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's um, great. That's just, that's I hope awesome. that's not boring, but that's what that's, no, that's that's what I have to do to help myself. And if I if I don't sit down and do that, it's amazing how fast that disconnect will happen again. I'll be out mm -hmm. and be like, yeah, I can buy that. That's only forty dollars. Well, I can do up, oh, but now you do that a couple times, and now I can't pay a bill. You know. So, right. Yeah. Especially like Starbucks, you know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And that can happen on the road. So, I mean, when we were on the road, I had to take a day or a morning once a week and sit down and look at my tour budget. Did I spend what I thought I was going to spend? Did I overspend? Um, where am I? Because I also have to pay my musicians. So I have to make sure that I have enough to, to pay them when we're on tour. Um, but it's so easy to get caught up in the tour and not sit down and do something like that. Um, especially with all the social media out there. That's like such a time zapper, you know. You yeah. jump on there to do something, and before you know it, an hour's passed, and I probably didn't even do what I went on there to do anyway. Exactly. 
guilty of that. <laughs> mm. Oh my yeah. gosh. We didn't have that when we were growing up. Can you? I, you know, I sometimes wonder. You know about you know Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and all those folks. You know when they were coming up. What if they had to deal with social media? What would things have been like? <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, because you think about it, social media, they say you're supposed to put yourself as an artist. I hope I'm not getting too ranty here, but like as an artist, you're supposed to put something about yourself like every day or every couple days. And I look at, I'm looking at my Led Zeppelin poster here. I Led Zeppelin didn't do any of that. You know, I mean, there was such a mystique about them. You look at the album cover and try to figure something out about them because they were such a mystique about them. They didn't hardly ever do interviews. So according to the platform that they're all telling us we need to do today, you know, I don't know. I kind of feel like if I see so-and-so channel and I see their shtick every day for a year, I'm going to get bored of that, you know? So I don't know. I, I kind of... Sometimes I have mixed feelings about social media. It's great for some things, but I also feel like uh, it can get a little too monotonous. But yeah, yeah. I know you didn't ask me that, but <laughs> oh, that was awesome. That was awesome. Well, April, I hate to go, but we're nearing the end here, so I wanted to save a couple minutes here for you to share some final words of wisdom with our listeners and send us on our way. Okay. Well, um, one of the, the mantras that, uh, that I adhere to that, uh, I saw when I was in college was there was a gentleman called Joseph Campbell who wrote a book called the power myth and his famous quote was follow your bliss. And I really feel that following your bliss is, is your Dharma is the thing that's going to make you happy and also positively impact people around you. And that's, that's always, you know, my mantra, follow your bliss. So I'll leave that for y'all to chew on and, Hopefully that'll inspire somebody out there to to do their calling. Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of On the Record. Tune in next week.